Well, welcome to another episode of Professor Jay's Classroom. This is Professor Jay broadcasting live from the great state of Texas. And uh, we're going to go ahead and take a look at some of the issues that are in today's news. All right. Um, and then look, try to look at it from a rational, um, policy-based uh, decision-making um, platform and see what we can do to help better our country, to help move our country in the right direction, but also just so that we can understand what's going on. Um, the, there are three things that are really interesting that I would like to discuss and um, honestly, the the story regarding the story regarding Jeff uh, Jeffrey Epstein, sorry, um, is one that is disconcerting as well as um, one that we need to look at, um, and just kind of because I know it's on everybody's mind. You know, Jeffrey Epstein, a billionaire who uh, was accused of running an um, underage sex ring for men of, uh, well, well to, you know, well off men, men of power, men of prestige. Um, he, he was arrested. He's been charged. All those good things. Well, he, com he allegedly committed suicide. And, that's an interesting um, story because if we look at what he was going to provide, there's a lot of people out there who want this man dead, whether they are the parents of his victims, whether are they are powerful men and women who stand to have their names run through the mud and there are powerful men and women who stand to possibly see some jail time if this man is able to turn state's witness if he's able if his if his case uh continues forward as long as this man is alive his story can be told um and so he tries to commit suicide when he's in jail um they he was unsuccessful so they put him on suicide watch. They put him in um, special sales, cells at the Federal uh, Detention Center in Manhattan. And two weeks later, he's dead. Um, allegedly from an apparent suicide. We have today the uh, coroner, the medical examiner, has said that the autopsy is complete. Um, however, they are unable to name the uh, cause of death and it could be that it's inconclusive it could be that they're waiting till authorities they're able to show authorities what's going on and let authorities uh, determine who or what or how he did it and who should know and I'm not going to touch on the conspiracy theories. Everyone out there is talking about the conspiracy theories. Um, I don't want to talk about conspiracy theories because, again, I don't think they serve 
a purpose. Now, if a conspiracy theory leads to justice, then that's a good thing. Then it's no longer a conspiracy theory. It's the truth. But if it doesn't, then it's just a conspiracy theory and it does little good, but I mean, it's nothing more than, than gossip. And I don't want to be a, a, a purveyor of gossip. So, but I think what's really interesting is the conspiracy theories that do exist on both sides. And why do conspiracy theories exist? Well, I kind of agree with what I heard Glenn Beck say this morning. Um, that, con- and, 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 I, and I've heard other people say this, so it's not just you know, Glenn. That conspiracy theories thrive in a society because the society doesn't believe the people in power. That the people in power have lied, covered up, obfuscated justice for so long that there's no trust. And, and I would argue that that's true. I think, I think the American people no longer have trust in the American justice system. Um, I think what's going on with, when you look at what happened with um, President Trump um, and how that the justice system was weaponized, Against President Trump, how people are tried in the court of public opinion before they've ever, before a single witness has ever been deposed, before a um, single jury member has ever been, before jury has even been convened, before a grand jury has even been convened, we immediately run to this idea that these people are guilty, so therefore because they're guilty, um, you know, they should be run out of town on a rail. Well, that's mob justice. And that's what I, um, in previous uh, podcasts, I've talked about mob justice and why the founding fathers didn't trust the mob. And this is why. is because the, the emotions of the mob lead to really bad decisions. And, um, you know, really bad things can happen as a result. I think that what we are seeing as a result of all of this is we are, we are, we're a sick country. And by sick, I don't mean, ooh, sick person. No, I mean like ill. We are ill as a country. Um, When we look at the, 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 the absolute obsession with politics today. The absolute obsession with it, that 99% of our news coverage today is about politics and what politicians are doing. 99% of our, of our news reports. You don't believe me? Go look at the Drudge Report. Go look at Fox News. Go look at the Blaze News. Theirs is a little bit more balanced of, you know, not so much focus on politics. Go look at CNN. Go look at MSNBC. We are absolutely obsessed as a nation with politics. And if you've ever read De Tocqueville's America, okay, one of the things that you will find is De Tocqueville was enamored with America. All right. Um, And he, he loved the fact that we were vigilant. 
um, that we we did that that religion and politics were the two things that we talked about the most as a society. So, as Americans, we are we we are have always been a political people. So to say that we're not. But we also were capable of living our lives. Yeah, we, we talked about politics in the pubs and in the restaurants and in the, around the fire. And we talked about, but we also talked about what's going on with Jimmy down the road and, you know, what's going on. We, we lived well-balanced lives. I remember growing up as a kid, you never really heard about what was going on politically. Or if you did, it was, it, it was sandwiched between stories about what was going on locally. You know, um, you know different interest pieces. They used to call them fluff pieces, you know, because they were our personal interest pieces where people would go and, you know, there's a dog that can bark the national anthem over here. You know, those types of things, you know, fun little pieces that reminded us of our humanity and reminded us that we were a community. Today, it's all politics. It's all politics. Very rarely do you see stories, common interest pieces. Very rarely do you see, why? Because we're, we're just obsessed. And I feel like people on the left are absolutely obsessed with Donald Trump. And it's because, and, and the reason why I think they're obsessed with him is because they can't control him. They've always been able to control politicians through false accusation, through reporting, through whatever... They've always been able to control them. Well, with Trump, they can't control them. And then they don't like Trump because he calls them names. And they, they belittle Trump and they talk about Trump, you know, not holding up to his office and not holding up to the decorum of his office, but yet they don't hold up to the decorum of their office. They're supposed to be the fourth branch of government. They're supposed to be, you know, the people's check. They're supposed to be out there reporting the truth. And the number of stories that have come out the, the 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 just the absolute juris, or absolute ju- journalism malfeasance journalist malfeasance that has occurred under this president and the president prior no wonder the american people don't trust the stories that they see on the news no wonder they don't trust no wonder conspiracy theories are running amok um, in the result of this you know billionaire who had everybody's number all of a sudden committing suicide in a place where he should not have been able to commit suicide. No wonder all of these things are, it's just building upon building upon building upon just distrust of just distrust, distrust. And it takes me back to a C.S. Lewis quote where he says, a sick society must think much about politics as a sick man must think much about his digestion to ignore the subject may be fatal cowardice for one as for the other, but if either comes to regard it as the natural food of the mind, if either forgets that we think of such things only in order to be able to think of something else, then what was undertaken for the sake of health has become itself a new and deadly disease. In other words, politics is only a part of our life. It's only an aspect. It's not the full breadth and width of our existence. And then as soon as it becomes, and it's also not the cure. 
Politics is not the cure. If I can't get anything across, let me get this across. We don't need more legislation. If you're on the right, okay, if you're a Christian on the right, please listen. You cannot legislate people into morality. Now you can say, well, the Bible says that you know God judges nations by their decisions and blah blah. Really read that. Is God, is God judging a nation based on its legislation? Or is God or is God judging a nation based on its hearts? By making something illegal and making it impossible for someone to do. That doesn't mean they won't do it. And they still have that condition in their heart. Okay? Remember, God doesn't look at the outward. He looks at the inward. He judges a nation based on its heart, not based on its legislation. So that's the first thing you got to remember. You can't legislate people into morality. And I think that's what a lot of people say when you say, well, you can't legislate morality. I think that's what they really mean. Okay? But... Yes, you can, and we do legislate morality all the time. That's what legal codes are, is the reflection of the morality and the values and the traditions of a people. That's what laws are. So we legislate morality all the time. What A lot of people, when they say that, is they don't want them legislating their, the other person's morality. Don't force your morality on me. And that's what they're really saying. Well, then that's a condition of the heart. If someone doesn't want to be held accountable for their actions, that's a condition of the heart. So first things first, you can't legislate people into morality. You can't make a moral people through legislation. Okay, so government solutions are not going to solve the problem that we have. Name a problem, and I promise you, the legislative solution is not the answer. Unless, of course, it's an, it's an appropriate role of governance. Then, yes, that should be, a, that should be a, an issue for legislation. And you, then that goes into, well, what is the appropriate role of governance? Well, does it protect liberty? Does it protect life? And does it protect property? And does it promote those three? So in other words, and, and by property, I mean private ownership. Liberty, free to live your life the way you choose, okay? Because even God gives us liberty, guys. That's another thing that people on the Christian right don't understand, is God created a free people. That's what loaning, law of nature and nature's God, means. L-O-N-N-A-G, okay? Law of nature and nature's God, A-N-G, okay? Law of nature and of nature's God is, is the laws that God set into motion when he created man, okay? We are free. Man is born into a state of nature, as Hobbes and Locke both uh, postulated, Okay? Hobbes and Locke both said man is born into a state of nature. What is the state of nature? State of nature is anarchy. That's that other end. Remember we were talking about the political spectrum, right? That's that other end. 
Anarchy, totalitarianism. Those are the two ends of the spectrum. Man is born in anarchy. Then, in order to protect his life, his liberty, and his private property that he works for, that he toils for, that he put his blood, blood, sweat, and tears into, he moves further to the left to create a form of government to protect his life, to protect his liberty, and to protect his private property. And in fact, that's codified in the Fifth Amendment of the Constitution, life, liberty, and property. Now, we, we hear all the time the Declaration of Independence, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Okay? The government... Okay, well, what is the pursuit of happiness but the accumulation of property? And the living in liberty, freedom. You're less happy the more reliant on government you are because the less freedom you have. The more reliant on government you are, because now what is government doing? It's dictating your actions. It's telling you, you can't live life unless you do X, Y, Z. That's the coercive power of government. So, again, the, the, appropriate, the appropriate role of government is to protect life, liberty, and private property. That's what it's to protect. And then by protecting that, then you're free to pursue your fulfillment, your personal fulfillment. Happiness, as defined by Aristotle, was personal fulfillment. It wasn't what we consider to be happy. Whatever makes you happy. No, 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 no. That's whatever gives you joy. It's totally different. Happiness is a state at which you can only achieve at the end of your life. That's why it's called a pursuit of happiness, not just happiness. Okay? In order to understand that phrase, you have to read um, Nicomian Nemachian Ethics by Aristotle. It's what Aristotle was writing about, that there are certain things that you have to fulfill in your life. And so when you're on your deathbed, if you fulfilled those, those elements, then you, can, then you are truly happy. You have, you have reached happiness. So that's what the Founding Fathers were talking about, the pursuit of happiness. Okay, but what is the pursuit of happiness? Well, part of the pursuit of happiness is accumulating property, ownership of property, being able to keep what you own. All right, and that that property is protected from other people coming and taking it from you. Okay, and then liberty, free to do with your property what you want, and free to do with your life what you want. And then life, no one can come and take your life away, including the government. So those are the appropriate role of government. So any legislation that fits within those appropriate roles is, is good. And those are, that's legislation that we should pass. But anything that restricts liberty, anything that, res that takes life, anything that takes property is an inappropriate role of government and should not be pursued. Okay? And many, moralistic leg many forms of moralistic legislation restricts liberty. So we have to understand that even God gave us free will. So does that legislation take away a person's free will? If it does, then it shouldn't be part of our legislative code. It should be part of our laws. So what does that, what does that bring me to? Well, it brings me to what we were looking at 
these these red flag laws that are being that are being advocated for now because of the latest mass shootings in El Paso and in Dayton, Ohio. And again, conspiracy theories surround those. All right. And uh, and one is being hugely um, pushed by the Democratic nominees that Trump's a racist. That's a conspiracy theory that the Trump is is radicalizing America's white nationalists. Again, a conspiracy theory based solely on lies and bold-faced lies. And they're out there trying to show, well, look what he said at Charlottesville. Yeah, he condemned them. And if you go back to the record, you will see that. And matter of fact, there's a great video by Prager University on that very... So again, we're out there saying, well, he's a racist, he's a racist. The, the Democrats who are running for president right now are dangerously flirting with, if not have already crossed the line of slander and liable. And if discovery didn't expose a president to, you know, having every little thing checked and opening him up to even greater scrutiny, I would, advo- I would advocate that this president sue every single one of them for slander, especially if he loses the election. Oh, I would definitely sue him. But it, it, would, it would open up discovery to things that not, aren't necessarily bad, but things that they could twist and turn for their own political gain. And so that's why I think the president's not suing these people for slander, for all-out slander, outright slander, because discovery rules, I mean, everything's available. You have to provide everything, and if you claim executive privilege, then you're, you know, it's bad. So that's why you don't see presidents sue people who slander them. And that's exactly what's going on here. I mean, to accuse this president who, before he was president, was a darling of the african-american community was a darling of all these things and and let's let's be honest even during the campaign trail when he was referring to illegal immigrants as rapists and murderers he was referring to rapists and murderers who are illegal immigrants and i mean you can look at the statistics it's pretty high i mean over a third of people in prison right now are illegal immigrants so again it's this if you expose truth that we can flip, you know, it's, it's this, it's this intellectual, I don't know a word for it. It's, it's pseudo intellectualism. It's not the real word. It's, it's, it, it's lying. It, I mean, that's the bad, there's no other word for it. When you are taking a person's words and twisting them in order to serve your own political agenda, in order to drive a wedge is it's, you're just lying. Okay, and you know this president was the darling of every single cause because he donated to everybody. That you know they they never called him a racist until he became the Republican nominee. Then all of a sudden he had to be a racist, and that takes me back to my last podcast where I was talking about the race card is being worn out. Okay, um, and it, eventually, when people start saying racism, people are going to ignore it. They're going to have to come up with some other, th- some other thing, some other word to describe it. 
And um, I think that's what white supremacist is now becoming. I think racism is no longer having the effect, so now they're going to white supremacists. It's now white supremacists, white supremacists, white nationalists. And I think, I think that's becoming the new phrase is because racism doesn't, people are starting to turn a deaf ear to it. But let's look at these red flag laws. What is the purpose of a red flag law? The purpose of the red flag law is to remove guns out of the hands of a person who is a clear and present threat to society before or to themselves before they commit any violence, either to themselves or to society. That's what a red flag law is. Okay, It's basically pre-crime determination. person hasn't committed a crime yet, but they will. So we need to stop them from doing it. And so we need to restrict their rights as a human being. That's essentially what we're talking about. Well, one of the things that you need to understand about red flag laws is that they are incredibly ineffective. There's absolutely no evidence that red flag laws reduce gun violence. Um, In fact, Connecticut enacted the nation's first red flag law in 1999, uh, followed by Indiana in 2005. They've had social sciences have had decades to analyze the effectiveness of the laws, and what did they find? They found that it's minimal, it's negligible. Uh, for whatever extreme risk protection, uh, matter of fact, the New York Times actually said uh, the evidence for what, whether extreme risk protection orders work to prevent gun violence is inconclusive. This is back in 2016, according to a study by the Rand Corporation on the effectiveness of gun safety measures. Also, California's red flag went basically unused for two years after its passage in 2016, and yet there was, before 2016, there were shootings in California. Uh, other states such as Florida and Maryland have gone the other direction, seizing hundreds of firearms from gun owners, and yet there's still gun violence. And it hasn't gone down, it's actually gone up. I mean, matter of fact, Parkland happened. You know what, you see what I'm saying? All right, um, the second thing that we can talk about is Congress lacks the authority, and that's where I want to talk about this. All right, um, it's absolutely right. Congress does not have the authority to pass a federal um, to pass a federal law denying someone the right to, even, even through due process, denying someone the right. Because here's why. The Second Amendment. Oh, I know, I just said the, word, the horrible phrase, right? But how many of you have actually sat down and read the Second Amendment? And then how many of you have actually dissected it to determine what the Second Amendment really says? and actually really looked at the original intent of the Second Amendment. Because remember, when we look at contract, especially in contract law, we want to look at what was the original intent of the parties that created the contract. And remember this, the Constitution stands as a contract between the American people and its citizens, or and its government, the, the American citizens and, the, and its, its government. This is the American people declaring. That's why it starts with, we the people. So in other words, if you're an American citizen, this applies to you. This is your contract with your government. Yes, you sign it with your birth. It is a, it is a continually, it is a contract that, that applies in perpetuity. Okay. So now we got to look at, well, what did, the, what did the people who created the contract actually really mean by it? 
That way, if you don't agree with what they intended, you can change it. And that's the beauty of the amendment process of the Constitution. If you don't like what the Constitution says, if the majority, the, the vast majority of the American people don't like what the Constitution says, they can change it. And we have. We've changed it 27 times. We've changed the Constitution 27 times. Even to the point of changing actual language in the Constitution. Okay? That's what the 14th and 15th Amendments did. All right? The 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments eradicated the three-fifths compromise. Okay? It totally took that language out of the Constitution. That's what amendments do in contract law. But amendments have to be agreed upon. You can't just do it through legislation and through judicial fiat. Okay? It has to be done a specific way. You can't do it through executive order either. Okay? So let's look at, let's look at the Second Amendment. A well-regulated militia, comma, being necessary to the security of a free state, comma, the right of the people to keep and bear arms, comma, shall not be infringed. Now, why are all these commas and why are the commas important? Well, when you study law, one of the things that you learn is that commas create clauses. These are separate, distinct issues that must be addressed. Okay? That's what a comma, it's a break. It's a break. It's this issue, this is one issue. These are clauses that you have to attach. Okay? So let's look at these different clauses of the Second Amendment. We have the militia clause, a well-regulated militia. This is where a lot of your gun, um, I won't say gun haters, but people who want to make guns or regulate guns or make it harder to buy guns, this is where they focus. This is their focus. See, 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 a well-regulated militia. But they use today's definition of a well-regulated militia. And they use today's definition of, of regulated. Okay. Regulated and militia doesn't mean the National Guard, the Army. Because we have a standing army, okay, which we didn't have at the time that um, the Second Amendment was written. Okay, we have a standing army. It's pretty big. It's the most powerful in the world. We have reserves and we have a National Guard. Okay, so we have three different, we have three different versions of the military happen in here. All right. So a lot of people will argue that, well, we don't need a militia to protect us anymore. We have all this blah, 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 blah. Well, that's not what a militia is. Okay. The National Guard is not a militia. That's not the state militia. Okay. Here's why. And here's the real truth. Okay. But actually, hold on, let's put a pin in that real quick. Let's go to what does militia mean? Well, militia is a group of citizen soldiers. That's what a militia is. Citizen soldiers. Private citizen soldiers. That's what a militia is. Private citizen soldiers. Okay, and so you can, you can make an argument. Okay, great. Yeah, I mean, even the National Guard has the Minuteman as its, as its logo. All right? it's, it's supposed to be the, the, you know, the militia, the, common, the modern definition of militia, but it's not. Because here's why. Militia can go home. When the president federalizes 
a militia, it is now under the, if when it federalizes the National Guard, it is under the command of the president. They can't go home. They have to follow the president's orders. Militia can. Militia is not beholden to anything other than its local community. They can go home. It is citizen soldiers. So in other words, every single one of you and I technically form a militia. We are the militia. Well, what does it mean by regulated? A well-regulated militia. That means a well-prepared militia. That's what it means. When you, when you learn about regulations in the military, one of the things you learn about is regulations are put into place in order to ensure unit readiness. Military regulations are such to ensure unit readiness. Not to keep a unit from being ready, but to ensure unit readiness. So in other words, any regulation that can be passed or anything that can be done has to be done through the militia. The militia needs to be well-regulated. Well, the government can't tell a militia how to be well-regulated. So that's the first clause. The second clause, being necessary to the security of the free state. So in other words, it's saying that a well-regulated militia is necessary to the security of a free state. It's necessary. In other words, it has to happen. It needs to be there. So we need citizens who can fight. We need citizens who can protect their local community. And part of that clause is also the term free state. Now, this is interesting because it's big S, the big letter S state, not the small little S state. Well, that has significance because big letter S means the state. It means Texas, Virginia, California, Arkansas. It means state, not little s, which is the United States or Brazil. Or, no, 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 S. Why is that important? Because we're a federalist republic. We have federalism. Okay? So in other words, the militia's job is to protect the state. So again, that's another where people can say, well, we have the National Guard to do that. Well, yeah, but what if the National Guard gets federalized and is made to go fight somewhere over in, you know, if we were ever attacked, God forbid, and the National Guard was federalized, and they had to go fight in California to fight off the Chinese. Well, who's going to be left to protect us? That's why it's a militia, citizen group, us. We rise up, we protect our state. We can't be federalized. You see what I'm saying? But here's the real, here's the real fun part, the next two clauses. The right of the people to keep and bear arms. So in other words, it's establishing it. Boom, right there, one right. Stops the clause. You as an individual have a right. A right. And this isn't a right that the government grants its people. This is part of loaning. Remember, we talked about you have the right to life. Not only does we institute government to protect our life, but we institute government to protect our life so we don't have to. But if we have to, we have the right to protect ourselves against the government and against anyone else who wants to take our right from us, our right to life from us. So in other words, you have a right to keep 
and bear arms. Not only do you have a right to have a weapon, you have a right to bear it. These open carry laws, these are constitutional because you have a right to bear your arm. You have a right to have your arm on your person. Then the final one. This is the one that everybody seems to forget and why the, the, red, the red flag laws are unconstitutional. Shall not be infringed. Shall. There's a difference between may and shall laws. May laws give you a little wiggle room. You can, you, you can or cannot. It's, you know, it's up to you as a legislation. It's up to you as a law enforcement officer. It's up to you as a citizen. You may or may not. Those are called may laws. This is a shall law. Shall not. In other words, there's no wiggle room. Be infringed. Well, what does infringe mean? Anything that keeps you from being able to keep and bear arms. Anything. So, the, so if regulated means what people today think regulated means, then it, that's contradictory in, in its own. Because then, well, if we can regulate guns, because it, because it, well, what does this infringed mean? Shall not be infringed. Well, wait a minute. If I regulate this, I'm infringing. See what I'm saying? That's why that word regulated doesn't mean what it means what people think it means today. So what does this mean? Well, this means whatever you want to protect yourself, you should be allowed to have. So are you asking me, do I think that, you know, people should be allowed to have bazookas and stinger missiles and all those things? Absolutely. Yes, I do. Now, does that mean that bad people use it? Yeah, I do. I know that. I know bad people will use it. I know if we start allowing everyday citizens to own stinger missiles and automatic weapons, that they'll use them. I know that. <coughs> but I also know that we, we need to be able to protect ourselves. And I also know that if we ever declared war against our government, it would be a short war. Because if they can use drones, they will. But we have to be able to shoot the drones out of the sky. See what I'm saying? Well, so does that mean people should be able to own tanks? Yeah. Yeah, I do believe that. I know that's a scary scenario because you think, okay, well, what if a terrorist got a hold of a tank? Well... If a terrorist got a hold of the tank, that would be a scary situation. People would die. But so would the terrorists. Because we could take the terrorists out pretty quickly. So what we're, t what we're talking about now is then, okay, well, what do we do to save and preserve life? And that's the question. That's the million-dollar question. That's the question everybody's trying to ask. Is it creates a more dangerous society? Well, does it? Does it create a more dangerous society? An armed populace is a polite populace. If people were able to protect themselves and knew that they could protect themselves, do you think there would be as much crime? That's one of the reasons why, you know, open carry laws are great. I love the concealed carry law. 
Because the concealed carry law, you don't know who has a gun. And I like that. Because if you don't know who has a gun, then you're less likely to act the fool. If you know that guy has a gun, yeah, you're probably, you see that and you go, okay, I'm probably not going to walk into this room. But if you don't know, there's always that, you know, I don't know, somebody in here might have a gun. Do I really want to be messing with people right now? Especially if you get rid of the whole idea of gun-free zones. That's another topic for another day. But there it is, guys. So I think when we look at all of this, I think what you need to do is... I think we need to step back a little bit, not make decisions based on emotion, really look at the policy that we're trying to enact. Is it effective? What are the unintended rewards? What are the unintended consequences? What is the net harm? All of these things that could result as a result of these policies. And if you don't believe that false accusations won't be made and false accusations won't be carried through all the way through, then you've never been a coach and you've never watched college football and you've never watched college athletics and you've never seen athletes get falsely accused of committing a crime and having their life ruined. So it happens all the time. People are evil and they falsely accuse people all the time of stuff. So again, we can't, Keep going to the government to solve all of our problems. We've got to look at things rationally. We've got to look at things from a policy perspective. How will it affect us? We've got to actually know the owner's manual. We've got to look at the Constitution. We've got to read it. We've got to know what the government can and can't do. We've got to stop letting politicians tell us what the government can and can't do. And, and us start telling them. Because guess what? They, they derive their parties. They derive their power. They're just power from us. The people. So the government can only do what we allow the government to do. And with that, I say thank you for coming to class today, and uh, we let's keep let's keep this dialogue going.